So we are back with another episode of Test Talks Radio. I'm your host, Marissa True, and today I'm joined by none other than Alex Esterick, the editor-in-chief of Right Click Save. So welcome, Alex. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. And thanks for actually being the first person for our in-person studio, because typically we do this online. So, yeah, welcome to our soundproof bunker. <laughs> it's good to get out of the house. <laughs> Into a basement. Um, so... Today's conversation, we're going to delve into the blockchain art world and essentially what RightClick Save is working on and how it plans on educating a lot of people and sparking key discussions around the technology and art space. So firstly, we'll dig into your personal story. I'd love to ask, you know, what is your origin story? What is your background and what brought you, you know, to where we stand today? That's such a generous question. I love the idea of having an origin story. So it's self-aggrandizing. Um, probably the most relevant place to start, I uh, edited at uh, a magazine called Flash Art, which is an old um, and ongoing uh, contemporary art magazine, which started in 67 and published the uh, Arte Povera Manifesto. And um, in 2016, they asked me to curate an edition uh, on AI. And that was the first time I was exposed to a, a lot of the artists who are kind of um, becoming big now and uh, concepts surrounding the digital and so forth. So I, I started a, a column in 2020 uh, um, called The Uncanny Valley, and that's on Flash Art Online, and that's ongoing as well. Um, and that was designed to fill a void, um, which I felt existed, um, perhaps between um, mainstream contemporary discourse and new media. Um, and those... Uh, to markets and fields had sort of self-segregated for a long time um, quite successfully and, and um, so you had you know projects like uh, Ars Electronica which existed entirely separately and outside of the mainstream contemporary art world um, but what the NFT did um, by marketizing digital art was I think uh, and I this is a bet but I'm assuming uh, irreversibly brought together um, mainstream contemporary uh, market um, and this new uh, NFT space, crypto uh, world of collecting and so forth. So, yeah, that was... So what was your first actual instance or experience with NFT technology or the blockchain art space? Uh, I... Um, the first time I decided that we needed to deal with crypto for flash art, um, I commissioned... Um, my now CEO Jason Bailey um, to uh, be one of the contributors to a discussion about um, a new ecology of crypto because at the time uh, Memo Acton had uh, released um, I think you know really importantly uh, this uh, critique of the environmental cost of right. crypto and that obviously got a lot of attention at the time and, and Memo uh, kindly uh, joined this this uh, panel we did um, anyway, so um, that you know was about 18 months ago now. That I guess was my uh, first meeting with Jason, um, who is better known as Art Gnome, a big collector, uh, but also a big writer and, and, and student and scholar of crypto art. And indeed, he defined um, crypto art uh, way back when. And so, um, for me, it's been a, 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 a great experience getting to know that community. Um, but also, um, you know, with the, the Ethereum merge having just happened, it's 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 kind of an amazing watershed because, for me, I guess I, I came at crypto with skepticism, mm -hmm. and I maintain that skepticism, and rightfully saved us. Um, but I think you know a, a lot of the uh, perhaps the primary argument um, on the part of the layperson, on the part of you know mainstream contemporary art, traditional art institutions against NFTs has been this, this problematic um, environmental cost. Um, so uh, that, that's a big change. And, and you know, uh, I'm kind of interested to see where everything goes. So then when it came to, you know, a chain like Tezos, which was what well, is proof of stake and therefore requires a significantly less amount of energy consumption, when you encountered the fact that, you know, these, these chains did exist and the art communities on them were thriving, did it rejig your idea of how blockchain-based art could go forward? Or did you still meet it with a new or a new kind of critical eye that just didn't rest on previous arguments? Well, the interesting thing I think about Tezos, 
um, not to give it uh, free advertising, but um, I, I really, you know, it, it feels like the proof of concept for, um, you know, successful proof of stake chain. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I think what's interesting to me about Tezos in some ways is that uh, Hiket Nunk, uh, which emerged early last year, um, and subsequent um, communities following uh, Hiket Nunk um, on Tezos have, in a sense, reproduced some of the conditions of early crypto art that you saw in the early days of super rare. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I see this on a daily basis because you know, uh, Jason Bailey Artnome is a was a big collector in the early days and he's a big collector on Tezos. And he was a big collector... Uh, at the start of FX Hash, and he was a big collector. I think he was the first collector on Super Rare. So for me, it's it's been uh, very exciting to see the, uh, in some ways, you know, these these new communities perhaps uh, iterate on mm-hmm. what those early uh, Ethereum um, communities were doing. Right. Um, and of course, I think the, the merge poses a challenge from a superficial standpoint to Tezos. Um, but what Tezos has is this extraordinary uh, array of uh, and global uh, set of communities which are in- interconnected. And we did a text uh, for Right Click Save um, on this this idea of digital geography. Um, and so I think uh, you know um, crypto art is I think and certainly I think Jason would agree with this is is a global movement for radical inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course. As commerce and uh, invaded the NFT space on Ethereum, um, and with the NFT explosion last year, um, I think, shall we say, perhaps the the kind of egalitarian roots of crypto art were obscured, mm-hmm. and um, and of course that coincided with a lot of those early crypto artists making a lot of money. Put all the power to them. But I think um, for me, uh, you can either treat crypto art as a moment in time mm-hmm. or you can uh, treat it as a set of principles mm-hmm. of towards a more global. Um, but using the word global sounds uh, rather neoliberal and, and capitalist. And um, I think that the principle of having uh, different communities um, interacting um is fundamental to crypto art. And that's something that Tezos, I think, has reproduced or produced. Um, and it's something that needs to go on. And I actually right now, um, as I see increasingly uh, mainstream contemporary traditional art world institutions taking crypto art uh, NFTs seriously, uh, the more I feel that some of the, 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 the bad tendencies of the old world uh, are being reproduced Mm -hmm. and as that happens and of course i see that happening on a day-to-day basis um with the kinds of shows that are emerging with the kinds of voices that are being privileged um that worries me and of course i I feel a lot of responsibility to make sure that 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 inclusive legacy Mm -hmm. is the defining characteristic of the rcs community Mm -hmm. and i do feel quite strongly that web3 media is about inclusivity and i feel that to be honest um, where perhaps the traditional art world uh, inflated the value of the art through the perception or creating an illusion of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Inclusivity is clearly central to the market for NFTs mm-hmm. because um, artists support one another, artists are collectors, artists are new kinds of artists, artists are engineers. We have these new hybrid artists. There is a, a different... Uh, a, the NFT market functions, I think, in a fundamentally different way mm-hmm. to, to previous art markets. Yeah, it's almost like a like a symbiosis in terms of everyone sort of giving and creating and receiving, and it, it's just constantly it's a it's a, it's almost like its own cycle or an ecosystem. Or I hesitate to use the word food chain because it seems one directional, but in terms of how these Entities, artists, organizations nourish one one another within a blockchain realm is very different to, say, a conventional art realm. But to take the conversation back slightly, you said that you 
err on the side of skepticism when it comes to blockchain technology, which is what helps give you kind of the teeth of your journalistic practices when it comes to right-click-save. But obviously, right-click-save is very much a platform that enables a lot of critical dialogue to do with the space. And through that criticism or just the critical thinking that's applied to a lot of the enthusiasm in the space, it's almost as though you're doing more work to support it as a result by making sure that, you know, all the key questions are answered. So what are the real gaps in the conversation that RCS is trying to really fill? So I, I appreciate that, that your question, because I um, certainly the, I would say that the perhaps the initial purpose of Right Click Save was to start or um, at least bring to light conversations that hadn't previously been had in the NFT space. Um, whether that's talking about uh, time as a concept, which is obviously fundamental to the blockchain, um, or whether it's um, talking about the need to decolonize the blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was uh, very happy to have a, a leading scholar, um, uh, Luke Espanol, writing um, about the need to um, take a, a, a critical look at new technologies. Uh, I think there's there's always a sense with new tech paradigms that uh, you know this is the answer to all our problems. But the question then becomes, who is us? Mm -hmm. um, and one, I think, one of the privileges of of being relatively early to Web three is to have the lessons of Web two, which has become this kind of really this this sort of uh, authoritarian uh, regime, corporate regime. Mm -hmm. um, how does one, uh, you know, um, produce a new tech ecosystem which does not reproduce those old uh, structures? Of course, principally, those are hierarchical structures um, and blockchain, you know, again, once again, once again, in principle, if not always in practice, um, militates against hierarchy. Um, but... Uh, I think, you know, to, to, to cut a long story short, I think uh, I'm very preoccupied with uh, the idea that blockchain, NFTs, smart contracts in particular could be could become a neo-colonial um, tool. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that particularly with smart contracts because um, I think one of the particular points that I'm fascinated with about them, um, and this is something that Charlotte Kent published on Right Click Save earlier this year, um, is the idea that um, smart contracts automate the future based on the present or the past um, and I, I, of course the idea that you can as it were uh, uh, automate you know, uh, perhaps current values which may be not always the most um, socially progressive uh, is problematic so I think in essence you know, right click save I think is about um, looking at the technologies as well as the way they're used uh, as art um, in a serious way. I think the, one of the problems with the word criticism or art criticism is it presupposes sort of um, rather uncritical, funnily enough, um, judgments, uh, unqualified statements and so forth, um, which I still read in, in uh, so-called criticism in, in the mainstream press. Um, but when I talk about criticism, what I'm really trying to do is to onboard um, scholars from uh, media departments around the world um, onto Right Click Save and into Web3 uh, so that they can be the ones to start and lead these conversations. Mm -hmm. I want the people who are doing the research to be the ones who are uh, shaping the terms by which Web3 is judged. And of course, you know, uh, to, to narrow uh, that conversation to artists, you know, as we've seen in the last year, the, this explosion of interest in generative art specifically, mm -hmm. um, which has a long history back to the 50s. Um, for me, it's been very important to allow the, the generative artists um, the, the room to, in a way, dictate the terms by which their art is judged critically. If that right. makes sense, because, you know, I think the days of folks like Clement Greenberg and Michael Fried um, in a sense, constructing a critical apparatus uh, by which the work of artists uh, is judged, it feels, you know, uh, very problematic and obviously mm -hmm. always was. Um, and as we start, I think, what is uh, a new art world, um, 
you know, we have to reflect on what didn't work last time. Right. But also, you know, perhaps most problematically, we have to also ask ourselves on a daily basis how we are iterating new biases um, yeah. and, you know, oppressions, which, of course, we, you know, is what happens all the time. I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to what you're saying because what it comes down to is right-click save on the surface of it is really focusing on, you know, new and emerging art mediums and the conversations that are taking place within those spaces, especially as it relates to things like blockchain technology. But in that, we're applying almost like a political philosophy or a political lens onto what the implications are of how we behave in an art realm may reflect how we behave elsewhere in terms of, you know, how we interact with one another and how we how we relate with one another especially as it relates to, you know, market-based structures. And then you've got this idea of new and emerging artistic mediums. And, I mean, in many ways, generative art isn't new, but the focus on it very much is generative art wasn't really appreciated for the complexities that it has until it really hit the blockchain community. And, as you said, Right-Click Save is looking to give the artists who are creating this work the voice to set up the parameters on which they are evaluated and judged and appraised. So again, we're coming back to this idea of this like symbiotic loop of how these different entities interact with one another. And lastly, I think a conversation I've had multiple times on this podcast is this idea of how just because we have, you know, new technology to experiment with doesn't mean we are immune from the dangers of replicating old social structures onto it. I mean, I, if I can just interrupt, I think w one of the really interesting things about um, artists who work with technology um, is that in the past, I think there's been a um, there's been two schools. There have been artists who've um, kind of fetishized the technology and, mm -hmm. and um, I guess tried to push the technology as far as it would go. And there are artists who try to mess up the technology and try to reveal its its problems um, and you know mess it up basically um, and critique it and so forth. And um, but one of the things, and I always use the example of Stephanie Dinkins because I think she is uh, the best example I can think of right now of an artist who, in many respects, is leading the conversation about technology. Mm -hmm. And she, she does work producing. Um, uh, small using small data uh, to produce um, disruptive and creative algorithms um, but what's interesting is that she's been working uh, in, in this way for a long time um, but it's only in the last year uh, we're working uh, creatively mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's important to stress that actually I I, um, I want these markets to be fruitful and uh, to, to create equity but I also hope that people realise that these artists are actually uh, a different kind of generation of artists and that they're perhaps the people best placed to produce pro pro progressive technologies. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to what you were saying very early on in our conversation, which is that many of these conversations are actually quite siloed. This relationship with technology and then a relationship with art and then, you know, digital art, but not really in how this is an all-encompassing sphere and we kind of need to address it as a whole rather than the sum of its parts. But then in terms of this idea of representation and inclusivity that we're touching upon, how does that factor into your design of the community of people, or the community of voices that exist on Right Click Saves? Like, how do you curate the people that contribute to this platform and make sure that their voices are heard over, say, you know, this homogenous, non-representative, kind of obtuse voice. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't want to make generalizations, but um, often the loudest voices and sometimes the most successful voices in the NFT space, um, if they were allowed to dominate the conversation every week, uh, would not produce the kind of inclusive community of voices that we're looking for. I think one of the things we, we always set out to do at the start was to uh, be a nexus for different communities. And so I think it's perhaps uh, a better way of thinking about this from my perspective is um, when I consider a problem, um, what community is this artist or writer coming from? Um, and 
uh, at that point, it's you know that it's very clear to me which communities we're not serving mm-hmm. and which communities need to be privileged mm-hmm. over other communities. And can you dig into that for me? <laughs> um, possibly not in a way which is not um, controversial. Controversial. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think when we discuss terms like Web3 and just, you know, decentralization and blockchain technology as a whole, it was originally, or a lot of the rhetoric poses as a challenge to this centralized Web2 world. It is directed as almost an alternative, not something that will exist adjacent to. But then do you think, you know, as a community of developers and artists and creators, that we are self-aware enough at this stage to prevent the replication of, you know, these these old practices that haven't served us and are we doomed to repeat our mistakes just on new technology? Uh, we did a text, um, a, a conversation between um, a, a very, very uh, incendiary artist called Paolo Cirio, who, who specializes in critiquing uh, systems of power, particularly financial systems. Um, and Max Haven, who's a scholar who, who uh, wrote a book called uh, Art after money, money after art, um, which was a, a Max believes that um, in, in a sense uh, art it does art can never exist outside of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, if you accept that, and I accept that, um, the question is then how do you create an ethical art market mm-hmm. um, rather than uh, perhaps a, 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 an art world which exists away from from capital flows and of course the nft in in, in many respects makes the idea of a um another world or an outland or an <laughs> off world um inconceivable um and and for me um i think um rcs is is a is a it is a political progressive uh, and hopefully ethically grounded project it's not apolitical and i think the idea that um uh, contemporary art or, or the history of art has been, as it were, an apolitical domain mm-hmm. is really the, a classic example of white supremacist ideology. Mm-hmm. And that is, is something, of course, I'm very sensitive to. And once again, as, as, as and I feel that it is true that the NFT did one thing, which is it really, in principle, if not always in practice, um, allowed a load of digital creators who previously weren't able to sell for the same level as a as a institutionally trained fine artist a level of parity they previously hadn't happened Mm -hmm. and i'm very keen to see that uh, continue and grow um and so but in order for that to happen i think that the mainstream art world has to realize that the art world just got a whole lot bigger Mm -hmm. and we're living in an expanded field of art um whether that is a, a an um problematically attached to commercial uh, priorities mm-hmm. um, I can't deny um, I think I think the question now is not so much um, do we need artists or do we need commercial artists the question is uh, we, we need ethically minded artists who accept commerce as an inherent part of this ecosystem and I think a lot of the artists you know um, working in web3 um, Accept that you know every work of art, in a sense, is a financial vehicle, and that is a that is a fundamentally positive thing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but it, it, of course, it also leaves artists subject to uh, pump and dump schemes, to right. uh, the kinds of uh, bad habits that you know, of course, the um, mainstream finance specialises in. Yeah, like the hype practices that we actually see day in and day out. But I think. I mean, I think, you know, the core narrative that existed over the past year was exactly how NFTs were able to provide, you know, a sustainable means of monetizing art for independent artists. It was this, you know, this financialization of their work and their ability to finally capitalize off of something that they probably wish they could have capitalized on for years prior from the, you know, the moment they decided that art was a point of focus in their life. But then when we talk about, you know, this notion of ethical artists and the the onus of responsibility, there are so many players in this game that to put a lot of emphasis on of this responsibility on the ethical artist, does that absolve, you know, the institutions of their responsibility or what do they need to be conscientious of as they start to, you know, integrate themselves into this space 
when we see this traditional art world and this NFT art world merging together. Oh, I didn't mean to put, to, to, uh, put the onus uh, for ethics on the artist. Okay. Um, uh, although it w- would be fair to say that um, you know, historically artists have been tend to be the most ethical actors within a um, financial ecosystem. Um, one of the interesting things that Ma- Max Haven says is that you know, in, in, in recent years, um, not only has art become more financial, but finance has become more cultural. And mm-hmm. I think the NFT crystallizes this kind of merging of the two. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. But. Yeah, it does. But um, in, to just expand the question further, how can institutions basically make the same sort of considerations and the same arguments? Because I think when it comes to institutions, they, I mean, to use the term they loosely, because that would imply that they're sentient, but they often sit above this idea of ethical thinking or ethical practices because they just they have their objective, which is typically financial gain, and the the morality behind it is secondary. So how do we make those institutions more fundamentally aware of their considerations and how they need to potentially alter their practices as they engage in new spaces? I think you're seeing in Web3 already, um, but also, um, I think, you know, with, with the, the ascent of Gen Z, um, I think a much more critical approach to uh, corporate behaviours, quote unquote values, um, and uh, so I, I think that that's a question that, that um, in in many respects, uh, goes for all institutions. I think from the perspective of right click save, um, it, in some ways, the, the most we can do is to foreground these problems. Um, not in an apathetic sense, not to say, oh, these are the problems, you know, now go and deal with them, um, but to, to, to kind of keep watch. And I think that uh, the simple reality is that a, a lot of these, um, uh, I think a, a lot of uh, informed criticism uh, has, has only emerged really in the last year. Um, generally speaking, I think the criticisms that folks labeled at um, NFTs prior to that were generally rather lazy mm-hmm. and I, I um, one of the interesting things about this year uh, with the crypto crash is that you know I think a lot of the hype has drained out of Web3 in the NFT space and as a result you know it's created the conditions for uh, people who are committed long term to building a more uh, hopefully ethical uh, infrastructure um, both technically and also uh, critically from my perspective um, is that you know, we've had a bit of time to um, address some of the questions that were previously being ignored mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden with the hype gone um, I think a lot of people realise we actually need some kind of um, critical uh, structures uh, by which to value art as more than just a, a, a speculative vehicle mm-hmm. and so that that's what I feel I'm not saying uh, you know necessarily right click save uh, has a particular um, market that it's looking to create or fashion mm-hmm. um, but I know I want a more cr- critically minded mm-hmm. um, Web3, that's for sure Yeah, I mean I think when it came down to just general hype around the, the blockchain space it allowed people to have surface level criticism, criticisms of it because the hype was also surface level so you didn't really need to dig that deep but the thing about you know developing more nuanced criticisms around this space is that we are all collectively still very much in the building phases of this technology, and therefore the the arguments that are arising or the criticisms that are arising are kind of as we go along, so we can course correct as we go. But then, who is there to sort of safeguard these developments and make sure that we stay on course? Because again. The principle is decentralization. There is no sort of central governing body or security guard or ethical, you know, ethics officer, prime morality officer kind of thing. So how do we as a collective make sure that we are on the right path rather than kind of all getting ahead of ourselves in a new wave of excitement and then again recreating just old structures that didn't serve us? I think part of... um I guess my job is to observe what I see around me and I think it's probably not a very original observation to suggest that um, 
Web3 and, and indeed the NFT community itself is a curious collision um, of right-wing techno-libertarianism and a, I think, a very uh, interesting and fertile form of tech communalism. Mm -hmm. And I think um, one ha in order to understand Web3, I think you have, and perhaps the next stage of you know, neoliberalism, one has to, I think, um, come to terms with this uh, kind of collapsing of, um, you know, uh, old polit politics which previously existed separate, um, because you know, in a context in which uh, you know a financial uh, a work of art becomes a financial vehicle, um, that 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 actually stands to benefit the artists in a way that the old system did not. Um, so for me, I mean, I, since two thousand and eight. There's been a lot of talk about the squeezed middle class mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this, the growth of the precariat, uh, which is to say a class of precarious workers, um, uh, which uh, might have, have included a vast swathe of um, uh, labourers, including cultural labourers. And so I think for me, one of the interesting things about NFTs, if we just uh, focus on that, is that, that at least in principle, if not in practice all the time, it is a kind of solution mm -hmm. um, because uh, the class of cultural um, labourer that was previously ignored and not being paid enough was often a digital creator working as a digital illustrator or a game engine designer um, whose work was not regarded as art. It was regarded as commercial art. It was, right. it was and it was paid or unpaid accordingly. Um, once, so I think the NFT is a very interesting um, development because, in principle, um, it creates the conditions for, or, or it creates the the means whereby um, some of that class of creative labourers who were previously mm -hmm. uh, ignored and marginalised can make a living wage, and mm -hmm. that's very exciting, I think. Um, Unfortunately, at the same time, you know, what we see in, in Web3 is the emergence of uh, kind of new monopolies or mm -hmm. monopolies over access. Um, but not all marketplaces are bad. And a lot of the actors, you know, who, who are developing marketplaces, thinking just uh, closest to mind, uh, someone like James Morgan at Known Origin, um, you know, d w was fundamental to developing a, a royalty uh, mm -hmm. For artists, now in the old art world, uh, the legacy art world, um, as I like to call it, perhaps too too much, um, <laughs> the artist resale rights contract was a was a conceptualist conceit. It was a, it was a, you know uh, a, a rather beautiful, eloquent or, or elegant uh, aesthetic legal contract and concept, um, but it never gained wholesale currency. Mm -hmm. um, but now, ten percent royalty is really a minimum requirement mm -hmm. for marketplaces in Web three. That's a remarkable shift. Mm -hmm. And if you if you couple that with the um, the merge, you know there are things that happen on a systemic level in Web three which were inconceivable in past legacy systems. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm sounding incredibly evangelical here, but I <laughs> I think it is important to to take the wins when they when they appear. Yes, because I think essentially what the the royalties practice when it came to NFTs or did was set a new floor for all artists to to make a, a proper living wage off of their work and in terms of this idea of you know this precarious working class where people whose digital work was never really compensated for in a fair and equitable manner then we're looking and then in terms of what you're talking about you know this this pinch of the middle class then we're basically looking at how offline political ideologies are evolving in this online space and do you think we need to create room of completely new political ideologies that better capture what's happening now or do you think that old ideologies still are standing the test of time but just being applied in, in a new way and in a new angle I, I, my favorite definition of ideology is uh, tj clark's which is false consciousness so i would not uh, personally espouse any false consciousness or ideology um, and in some ways, that's the one uh, privilege of an editor mm. is that I don't necessarily have to be the one staking out the ideology. 
Um, I think we need to present a collision of ideologies which clearly surround us. And also we can't pretend that we're not, um, on a day-to-day basis, making selections, privileging certain voices mm-hmm. and so on. Um, for, for, from my perspective, it, it's, I think it's important for me to, to stress again that Right Save ultimately is, a, in a sense, is a community uh, platform. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's not the mouthpiece of any one individual. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I am guided by, um, in a sense, the voices that have been contributing so much over the last year in the absence of hype. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and you know, someone who comes to mind just because uh, I think uh, they have been very successful recently, um, and I personally think uh, it's entirely uh, well-founded and cutting-edge uh, is Sasha Styles, who's uh, you know one of the uh, maybe the leading blockchain poet. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think you know Sasha has has done has showed a lot of people um, that. Uh, the, you know, an NFT doesn't have to be a JPEG hanging on a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't also necessarily have to critique the technology itself. Um, and I, I, it, it can, in, se- in some sense, be a, 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 a document of a relationship between human and machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that to be interesting because I do think that one thing that blockchain poetry uh, expresses in I think a very literal way mm-hmm. um, is this um, post-human condition that we are uh, moving into because I think one of the things and we haven't talked about AI uh, but obviously a lot of work uh, tokenized as NFTs is digital uh, much of which is produced using generative adversarial networks is produced using uh, machine uh, collaborators etc um, so I think sometimes that question about where we're heading as a you know as a, a post-human mm-hmm. um, is ignored, and I think that's something that that Sasha and a lot of the blo- blockchain poets are confronting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But they're confronting it through principally language, and uh, of course, you know, ultimately, uh, the digital condition is is a condition where language is visualized. Right. Um, but I think also it's worth just stressing with Web two. Um, you know, and I, I go back to someone like Trevor Paglin, who reminds us that actually uh, more images are produced by machines for machines mm-hmm. with humans rarely in the loop um, than by machines for humans or by humans for humans. So in mm-hmm. a sense, we're living in a condition of, if not iconoclasm, a kind of, um, I think that the, the pretentious term, um, I forget who used um, was distributed in visuality. Um, and I think um, that uh, artists, um, and I use artists in the broadest sense, who engage with the non-visual, mm-hmm. I think often come closest to understanding uh, where we're heading. Mm-hmm. Uh, by we, I mean humans and machines together. So basically, I think, you know, that that human-machine relationship that Sasha in particular has really fallen down that rabbit hole and has continued to you know invest in understanding that space further and further and unravel a lot of the complexities and the new questions that we need to be asking in that space um is you know i guess prime material for a platform like right click where all of these ideas and um new directions can be explored but then something i want to go back to is you said earlier that right click save is very much a political platform um, in terms of it allows these voices to exist on it and to encourage the debate and the necessary discourse and disagreements that we need to confront in order to actually pave our way forward. But then another approaching this space. So my question to you is, where do you stand in this mix? And how do you sort of take stock of your own political perspectives while also allowing every other voice to flourish. I think by st- perhaps, you know, to say that we are a political platform is probably to overstate things. I would say we are not apolitical. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Um, because I think to say that we are a political platform is, is perhaps implies, and I might have done wrongly, that we have a particular politics. Um, and I think, uh, however, I do think, you know, to restate, I think there is a kind of, a progressive spectrum of voices mm-hmm. that I do want to privilege mm-hmm. um, because I think um, the tech space needs it. Um, 
Yeah, sorry, I think I've forgotten the other question. <laughs> no, that's fine. It was more about, you know, where you personally stood in the mix. Because obviously you are also a contributor, especially as editor-in-chief, to the editorial explorations that exist on RightClickSafe. So it's sort of, you know, what position do you typically take when you, say, interview an artist or deliver, you know, your own piece of investigative journalism as it relates to the blockchain art world? Well, I think, you know, often I, I, I would foreground a lot of the, the questions that we've just discussed. And I'd say, look, these are the problems, as I see it, of Web3. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that an artist necessarily is, is a problem solver or indeed uh, politically active. Um, but I think I see that at this early stage of Web3, there are certain problems that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think artists are often the best place to do it uh, because I think artists, um, in a way, the discourse surrounding art uh, does allow a level of critique and freedom to play with ideas, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, perhaps other creative disciplines historically have not. Um, so uh, for me, I think it's also a question ultimately, it's like I, I don't do uh, that many of the interviews um, the other day, we, we uh, Manfred Moore recently, famous uh, computer artist, has released a new show at Bitforms. Um, and so for me, uh, asking someone like uh, Alexandra Yovanich, who's a, a wonderful generative artist herself, to ask and pose the questions to Manfred was made logical sense. Mm-hmm. You know, sh- sh- she is, uh, in, in many respects, the, the best person to ask the questions. Um, we had two generations talking uh, across these problems. Um, we had two different voices. Um, and for me, uh, once again, you know, two generative artists means that it, the language those artists are using becomes the language by which their art is valued or mm-hmm. evaluated. Mm-hmm. So for me, in, in a sense, that, that text is, is a good example of the kind of platform I want to run. Um, and I would, I would hopefully... Uh, adopt the same level of sensitivity and an analysis to who we select mm-hmm. um, on any commission. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of in terms of at least the articles that I've read in exploring Right Click Save, it's very evident that the the interviewer and the interviewees are typically matched in a way that they can hold a conversation that they are both to a degree expert on, and so it becomes this very cerebral and in-depth conversation about their specialty in particular. But then in terms of looking at Right Click Save as this educational platform as well, how can we bridge that to the mainstream where, you know, we're not creating intense academic discussions that still shut out, you know, the people who are looking to fundamentally understand why they need to pay attention to this emerging world and see whether they want to participate. I think that's the, that's the billion-dollar question, in a way. Um, I think one of the things also one has to acknowledge if one runs a, a, a text-based platform is that you know people don't read in the same way that they used to. People scan and, and uh, people don't have time and they don't have the attention. You know, we're conditioned uh, in a way um, to jump between media. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we, we do increasingly is is perhaps the, the key points of a particular uh, speaker or writer um, are put in a pull quote. So if you're scrolling on your phone on the tube, um, you can get the essence of the article. Um, I, I do sympathize with readers. Um, but I also think it's really important that, you know, Web3 has a place where the community can... Um, which the, the community can trust is an authoritative space, mm-hmm. one which bridges, you know, uh, the, the world of, of, of media scholarship um, with the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's I want to stress, you know, we just started this thing called the RCS Network, which is um, our attempt to um, onboard uh, scholars of, of art and technology into um, you know, the discussion surrounding Web3 and to publish scholars. We already publish scholars um already but i think um to make that kind of rigorous and imaginative approach a prerequisite mm-hmm. for web3 discourse mm-hmm. is as is that's in, in in some respects as good as we can do right um, and i would also just say if it hasn't come across and um, although i do commission a lot of articles we have a very large community section which is 
uh, in a sense, a grassroots platform. So we get um, co- commissions and pitches from members of our community. Mm-hmm. And as much as possible, we will publish them um, because, of course, that is, in a sense, the truest, you know, truest to the spirit of, of Web3. Um, of course, I should say, I also get a lot of um, shilling. And, right. Um, that was going to be my next question exactly, which is if you offer this grassroots movement or this organic movement, as it were, you open up avenues to a lot of self-promotion. And if there is anything that the blockchain space is not shy of, it's shilling culture. And so it's how you combat that with an editorial eye. I, I personally think that we, you know, in, in many respects, we are we are uh, one of the, the, the most um, developed shillers or shilling mechanisms because uh, whilst it may not be overt, you know, all of the artists that we um, platform mm-hmm. on Right Click Save and um, hopefully benefit from the exposure the, that's provided. Not only the exposure, but actually hopefully a critical lens um, which might differentiate, you know, uh, 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 some coverage on Right Click Save from some coverage in the mainstream press, which mm-hmm. may not look perhaps sufficiently critically at the art, the technology and the value system uh, or plural value systems from which they emerge. I mean, going back to this idea of the the mainstream consumer, the person who's reading Right Click Save on their tube in the commute to work in the morning and the, the power of the pullout quote in terms of just breaking it down to something a bit more digestible and easy to comprehend. I think one thing Right Click Save has in its favour is that a platform like it doesn't exist in terms of this almost almost academic approach and almost like an empirical approach to many of like much of the subject matter that's kind of pervading the space and the conversations that we need to have because I don't think there's necessarily any shortage of the mainstream coverage of the space that have afforded us those surface level criticisms and hype that we were subjected to before and so in that I think it's a fine line to tread in terms of whether you want to strike the balance of just being you know a very a very academic space or or very, maybe academic is the wrong word for it. No, academic is a great word. It, it, uh, for me, it's interesting because a lot of the best uh, academic writing on art and technology and media is not actually immediately accessible to, oh, the, un- to, the, in- no. to the uninitiated and to the lay reader who might be very interested in art and technology. So for me, and as a failed academic, by the way, <laughs> I, I feel very strongly that scholarship needs to be uh, respected and cultivated but I've always had a problem with the idea that academia is a silo. And I personally think that, that actually, you know, even cutting edge research does remain, un- unfortunately, um, under the radar, under the radar, underexposed. No, I completely agree. Um, just I mean, on the basis of if you if you draw an analogy, when you read about groundbreaking scientific discoveries, they'll always start the headline with according to science, which you know, to anyone from any kind of academic discipline kind of shuts you down because you just, you think the article's not going to delve into any level of scrutiny that's going to afford you the ability to make your own accurate judgment of what's be, what you're being told. And in a culture where people fundamentally mistrust media more, now more than ever, it becomes a complicated relationship. So it's about how, I guess, platforms like Right Click, they want to not shy away from the depths of those conversations. I think you could also go further and you could say that, you know, frankly, uh, the, the Western tradition of empiricism is a, is a, is a neo-colonial project and uh, empiricism is still fundamental to, to scientific approaches and, mm-hmm. and paradigms. Um, and, and this is something that, of course, you know, science is not detached from this conversation. One of the things we are going to publish uh, very soon is, is a conversation between uh, two, uh, between an artist and a scientist. And um, one of the things that is immediately clear is that technology is fundamental now to both art and science. Mm-hmm. And therefore, technology itself, uh, being as it is a, a product of human engineer, engineering as well as human and machine interaction, mm-hmm. is therefore, you know, in a sense, the, the, the fundamental uh, unifying thing, I think, between art and science right now. And therefore, the politics of that technology is absolutely central to mm-hmm. our, our, and when I say our, I mean our as a human species uh, future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, by the way, you know, um, I think it's important to stress that um, f- from my part, you know, uh, 
thinking about um, indigenous communities, it's you know this idea that you know empiricism is 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 the only form of knowledge is of mm. course really I think out of date. And I think um, you know if if we can do anything at Right Click Save, it's really important to um, have conversations about technology which. But consider both the scientific and the artistic implications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do see us primarily as a Web3, currently a Web3 uh, magazine, um, rather than necessarily an art magazine mm-hmm. um, or a tech magazine. Mm-hmm. I think there is something fundamentally hybrid about um, you know, the creator community right now, um, which includes some extraordinarily brilliant minds um, who create in different ways, mm-hmm. uh, who bring different skill sets from different fields. And I personally want them all together on my magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's very much like a forward-looking publication, but one that deconstructs many of the assumptions or the practices that we, or the ideologies that we've held in the past. So in that, I'm very excited to see how it continues. Well, to I hope so, but I also, I, I, it is important for me to stress, and as uh, listeners can tell from my voice, that... Um, this is something, my own positionality is always in question here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm conscious on a daily basis of uh, the fact that I live in London um, and, you know, that, you know, this idea of uh, that somehow, you know, the new art world is not going to just reproduce old um, cosmopolitan mm-hmm. uh, biases um, is is an ongoing problem. Right. Um, and that's in many respects why you know we set right click save up as a community publication so that really no single voice gets privileged um yeah i mean i I think it comes back down to this idea of constant self-evaluation self-awareness and the fact that that's going to have to stay as fluid as the technology that's being built in front of you and i think that's something that everyone needs to be conscientious of not just you know the creators of platforms like right click save i mean alex i think you and i could end up talking for hours on this and i, I think, don't know how long we have been talking i mean i'm gonna say just under an hour uh which is slightly longer than our usual but i've genuinely enjoyed this conversation i think we will aim to have you back on to just keep digging this hole even deeper um but thank you so much for joining us today Thanks for having me, Marissa. And uh, we will work together, sure, I'm sure.